welcome back to Adipec on air. This is day one of Adipec. We're here at the Wood Stand, and uh, we're here for our next podcast episode. My name's Colin Ross. I'm going to be hosting this episode as we look into carbon capture, utilization, and storage. We're going to be talking about the role that it plays in a decarbonized future. We're going to have a chat about the challenges, its potential, some of the technology, and, and where it fits in this world of combating climate change. I'm really delighted that today I'm joined by two wonderful guests. First of all, I've got Dan Carter. Dan is head of president of decarbonization at Wood. Dan, welcome. Pleased to be here, Colin. Thank you. And I'm also delighted to have with us Alan Abraham. Alan is head of industrial decarbonization at Bloomberg NEF. Alan, thank you so much for joining us as well. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, so firstly, we're talking about CCUS. And we want to kind of have this conversation about where does it fit in the big picture? We're here at Adipec. It's talked about decarbonization faster together. And um, I guess the question to you both is what does that look like? Where does CCUS fit within that picture? Alan, I'll maybe start with you. You guys look at the big macro trends and you look at data. Um, what, what are you seeing in the market? Thank you. Thank you, Colin, for the question. CCS definitely is an important and interesting technology that is required in the net zero transition to give it in summary. But let me explain. So every year, BNEF looks at how the energy system of the world can transform to a net zero world and meet our climate targets. And when we do this net zero analysis, what we've seen is that if you have to get to levels below two degrees Celsius as we aspire to, we have to rely on technologies like CCS to get there quicker and at the, at the pace that we want. Now, how that plays out between different sectors and different markets, there's a slight divergence. But in our outlook overall, between now and 2050, of all the cumulative emissions that has to be abated from the energy system, about 13% has to come from CCS. So it's a notable technology in our decarbonization pathways. Some sectors see a higher role, example cement, where about 75% of the emissions in 2050 has to be abated through CCS. It's basically because cement's chemistry creates CO2 emissions as the process emissions, which then means that you can put CCS and capture both process and energy emissions. And then it's also important for manufacturing of high-value chemicals, petrochemicals, important in, cement, uh, in steel, where anywhere between 20 to 30% of emissions abatement in these two sectors could be contributed by CCS in 2050. So yes, it does play a huge role when we look at it from an energy transition perspective with the climate targets we have. Yeah, brilliant. Dan, Wood's gone on record to say there's, there's no net zero without CCUS. Is that something you agree with? And, and, and what would you add to what Alan's said on all of it? Uh, so I absolutely support that, Colin. I mean, yeah, Alan was talking about where emissions come from and how easy or hard it is to effectively remove them. So. If you look at things like cement manufacture, if you look at even a refinery that might have an FCC unit or a coker, there are emissions from those facilities that actually come from the process itself. So you can't fix those by switching out for a non-fossil fuel source of fuel or something like hydrogen. You have to be able to abate them through carbon capture. So carbon capture is absolutely critical to achieve those net zero targets. Absolutely, depending on the industry, sector, even geography, right? Carbon capture is actually a bit of a, of a geographical and geological problem in terms of the ability to store captured CO2 as well. So it's not going to be the same solution in all geographies and all markets. 
What we do need to do, though, is to increase the pace of deployment of carbon capture. And only by increasing the pace of deployment are we going to be able to learn from those projects to be able to help us reduce the cost as we see that evolving through the future. And we're doing some really interesting stuff in that space. So we talked a little bit about cement. So you take cement, energy from waste, steel manufacturing, or other metal processes. Carbon capture hasn't been yet deployed really at scale within those industries. Yeah, we're working with Sea Capture to look at deployment of pilot scale test facilities into some of those industries. So far, with some very promising results in terms of the overall cost of capture compared to traditional technologies. We're also working with people like Tech Resources up in Canada to actually integrate carbon capture into their smelting process. So the doing is proof that the role that CCUS will play in the longer term, and we're starting to get there in terms of exploring those opportunities. So it's interesting, just as you're chatting, you know, th there's things that, that jump to mind. So, so of course, we're, we're talking about energy transition a lot here. Uh, we're an energy event. But it seems like the energy sector, and therefore CCUS, has a role to play beyond energy, right? We're talking about, you know, so, so this morning, uh, Dr. Sultan Al-Jabra from Adnoc was talking about the need for us to have three priorities. One of them was about decarbonizing energy. The other one was about scaling renewables, but the third was then about decarbonizing how hard to be industry. So, so we've got our job to do in our own backyard in terms of energy, but then is you talk about cement or other. Tell me a little bit about that. What does that look like? You know, how, how, how much of a role does the energy expertise have in that broader sector? Dan, or uh, Alan, go for it. Sure, thank you. E energy, again, becomes very critical because if you look at the global emission spike, a bulk of the emissions, over 70% of emissions, come from energy use. And that, be that becomes the reason why all of the focus on discussion about emissions abatement and, and, and reduction focuses on energy because that's where we have the maximum impact in terms of reducing and keeping ourselves on track to get to our net zero goals overall. Now, how does that play out again? Like I said, in some sectors, you do see that again, from an industry perspective, industries are large users of energy, but they also have other emissions like Dan pointed out, like the cement industry, for example, as emissions as part of their process, which is difficult to abate with just shifting your energy source. Similarly, there are other industries as well. So yes, we have to tackle those, but if you look at the larger picture, energy still becomes very important. Now the role that CCS plays again, like I mentioned, I didn't mention this previously, uh, is not just in industries. It also has a role to play in the power sector in some markets where you have assets probably deployed in the last five years. You have coal power plants or natural gas power projects or that are being built now or built in the last five years. And if you have to really cut down their emissions in, a, in an aligned pathway to our net zero goals, it means that these assets, which have a lot of life left in them, should also look at opportunities to reduce their emissions. And then CCS becomes an important one. But again, for the, all of our energy use, CCS is typically a solution we have to explore after we've exhausted all of our options with renewable energy or any other renewable uh, other sources of, uh, sources of uh, uh, fuel, because CCS as a technology is difficult to replicate. Like, like Dan mentioned, there are certain geographies where it can scale up quickly, but if we hold that as the only reasons to like 
or scale CCS, it becomes difficult to get ourselves on path to the net zero path here. If you take that back to a, to a really big picture level as well, you know, it's likely that the concept of carbon intensity, whether that's concept carbon intensity of oil and gas production, carbon intensity of petrochemicals, cement, hydrogen, steel, is going to become much more important from an overall trading perspective as well. So we have our things under discussion like the cross-border adjustment mechanisms that will look to provide parity in terms of carbon intensity between imported products and those that are domestically produced. The only real way to significantly scale down that carbon intensity once you've done the easy things like energy efficiency, looking for alternative sources of fuel, is carbon capture. So it's, it's not just about reducing emissions to help us meet net zero goals. The mechanisms and drivers that are being put in place to support that also impact on trading, viability, and on you know, our organizations, our client organizations own the ESG goals. So it's really important from the investment, the trading, and export perspective as well. You've talked a couple of times, Dan, about the, the geographies. We're sitting here in the Middle East. Um, we're at Adipec. What What does the carbon capture landscape look like here in the Middle East, um, and and what might the what might the next few years look like? Ali, do you want to give us your thoughts on that? Sure. At this point, yes, definitely, Middle East is becoming a certainly interesting market for carbon capture. We have a couple of very large projects that are now being announced, especially from an industry decarbonization perspective, as well as for other aspects. Uh, in fact, the Middle East is one of the first places to have the largest carbon capture facility for a for a steel manufacturing plant. In, 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 in the United Arab Emirates, where Emirates Steel put up their first uh, carbon capture project for decarbonizing their steel production. So it has been there in terms of deploying some of this capacity and there are like large projects being announced by ATNOC in, in, in Saudi, in, in, in UAE. So certainly uh, an interesting space to look out for when it comes to the carbon capture market. One of the things that we heard this morning was also about scaling. So is the Middle East the place where we can get that scale then? Absolutely. I mean, the scale of the energy and materials industries in the Middle East is absolutely huge in terms of provision on a global scale. And I think it's key for the Middle East to maintain that leadership as an energy hub to be the first to implement some of these really large-scale carbon capture projects. Now, we're working on a CO2 network within the Middle East that would increase the world's currently captured capacity of CO2 by 25%. That's just one project for one of the many industrial hubs that exist across the Middle East and the GCC. We're also working on carbon capture projects and projects to look at reducing the carbon intensity of things like petrochemicals production through using carbon capture as one of those tools. And these are projects of tremendous scale, you know, several billions of dollars in terms of their implementation capex that will have a really large impact on the countries, the organizations, and carbon commitments. So great thing about the Middle East as well is it has the skills, right? The energy industry, not just the natural resources, the people skills, the relationships, the ability to collaborate to help us deliver CCUS and scale in the region. I wonder... To what extent is it the Middle East also has the ambitions and maybe even the finances to be able to do that? Alan, what's your thoughts on that? The ambition is definitely there. Um, 
again, it depends from market to market and it also depends on the size of your emissions, right? So the Middle East overall, yes, it's a massive energy producer, but it is also, when you look at large markets like China or the US, the scale that these markets can offer when they start moving is definitely going to be a, you know, a significantly different scale compared to markets like the Middle East, for example. But definitely for the potential or the size of the market that Middle East is today, they are trying to move carbon capture much more quickly and become big carbon capture hubs and producers of clean molecules in the future. I think the ambition is also there from the longer term point of view of you know, decarbonizing the existing energy industry and maintaining that license to operate well into the future. You know, the energy mix needs to diversify globally but oil and gas and Middle East oil and gas are likely to still play a key role in that for the significant uh, future. So, yeah, future license to operate, but taking immediate action to be seen as a global leader from an investability perspective as well. And it's an and, not or. Yes, right. absolutely. You have to do both. So if we talk about the future, and you, you mentioned the, the scale of what will be required for CCUS in terms of getting to the, the journey we want to get to, why is it that we're not already doing all the things that we would want to be doing? Why is CCS not commonplace? What are the challenges that are driving some of that? Dan, do you want to start us on that? Yeah, so if I kick that off, I think yeah, the two things that I would highlight you know, at the moment, there's no real economic driver from a project perspective for CCUS. Certainly, the US has changed that a little bit with the Inflation Reduction Act and those tax incentives at up to $85 a tonne are starting to get to a level where they will compensate for the investment in carbon capture. Elsewhere in the world, you know, we've got the EU trading scheme, again, starting to get to sort of a level that will pay for those types of projects. Middle East, though, it's a capex, it's a cost. So that's number one. Secondly, I think there's also an, uh, a challenge around the pace of technology evolution. So carbon capture technology will evolve. The costs of capture will come down significantly as projects at scale start to come online. So do you want to be the first or do you want to benefit from those learnings within the industry, perhaps by being a fast follower later on? So organizations, clients, they have to commit if we're going to see those types of improvements in technology delivery. What challenges do you see, Alice? I, I certainly agree. The cost is definitely one of the biggest challenges. If you look at any industry, cement, steel, like we've talked about, adding a CCS plan is going to be an expensive affair, and it's going to require long-term commitments from their customers that they're going to take up this demand when they produce these materials. And sometimes they would also have to get some sort of certainty on at what price point would they buy. So if the market fluctuates, Am I get, going to get a price which still makes me or my project viable? So that becomes the biggest point, like one of the big points, which, which still I would say is in its infancy when it comes to most markets, having those long-term contracts and off-take agreements, which can support these sort of investments from, from industries is one thing. The other factor, again, that now we are starting to see crop up, even in markets like the US, where the incentives are really Flipping the, uh, flipping the balance on when it comes to the attractiveness of deploying carbon capture solutions is the transportation and the storage infrastructure. And that becomes a big uh, point of concern for many companies because 
they might be able to deploy the carbon capture solution in some cases within their facility and get to a point where they want to like claim those incentives. But if the transport infrastructure and the storage infrastructure is not ready, it becomes a huge challenge. And to get this associated transport and storage infrastructure, even in the US right now, we're starting to see huge delays in the permitting process and sometimes rejection of you know the permits by state governments to some of these projects which are really looking to to scale up capacity by 2027 2028 which means any sort of timelines that they have gets pushed back by one to two years or three years or four years which kind of puts all of these investment plans upstream also in jeopardy so that also becomes a challenge that most markets would have to think about that transportation and storage issue though is also an opportunity isn't it we've seen companies like equinor Occidental, who basically badged their future in terms of CO2 transportation storage as they move away from, from oil or natural gas. The piece on top of that as well is also policy and how policy recognises that, and that differs very much globally. So if we look in the UK, everybody's waiting to see what the mechanism is going to look like for the transport and storage solutions, but that certainty needs to happen before you get projects to take FID on the capture side as well. And it's that challenge that's going to exist globally in terms of that ecosystem of the projects and how they really fit together. Is there a danger that we stifle innovation or we, we don't create enough capacity in the supply chain, given that the projects are not necessarily getting to the scale and the volume that we might want? What, what does that look like? We are starting to see interest from companies to deploy projects at scale. Right. We are not talking about the scale of projects that we used to talk previously. There have been massive carbon capture projects in the past as well, but they were in concentrated industries in a few markets and a few, few, few applications. Now we are starting to see that spread across multiple sectors and multiple applications. Like I said, the US is the biggest example. There is appetite from the industry to deploy capacity and test new, new technologies, but the challenge would be that some of this associated uh, infrastructure, the ecosystem like Dan mentioned, would also have to scale up quickly. The policies have to evolve quickly. The industry would also have to make sure they engage with stakeholders on a transparent and a more uh, regular basis so that the industry is completely in line with what they want and then they communicate that vision to both the government as well as the communities involved. And then that becomes, you know, a, a process in which we, we, we overcome some of these challenges and get to scale. But unfortunately, at this point, to your question, uh, there is enough motivation in the industry to deploy capacity and test new technologies. And they are just waiting for clarity on some of these other ecosystem-related uh, aspects. Then what do you see at us? So I think I disagree slightly on the capacity issue because what we've got at the moment is we've got growth in the traditional oil, gas and materials markets and we've got projected growth in energy transition, whether that's carbon capture, hydrogen. We've had significant shrinkage within the industry across engineering, equipment suppliers, fabrication, construction because of a couple of macroeconomic shocks over the last 10 years. So how do we grow back quickly to meet that overall demand when we've got both the energy side and the energy transition looking to grow? And that only comes from investment. And absolutely, the clarity on policy, particularly around energy transition, is absolutely needed to encourage the investment throughout the supply chain 
in those skill sets and those markets. So I think it is a challenge. I don't think it's an insurmountable one, but it comes back to that policy of clear picture, allow the supply chain to go and then scale to deliver. Um, I really value the conversation. I'm going to wrap it up a little bit. For all of our guests uh, on the podcast this week, we could ask you a question. So, so the theme of the conference is decarbonizing faster together. And I guess the question is, is, as we think about the challenge ahead of us, which one thing would you do to, to make us get to net zero faster? I'm going to come to Dan first. Which one thing to get to net zero faster? I think what I would ask for is back to my previous point really is for governments to select policy and stick to that policy, provide that clarity to enable the investments to go ahead because that's a bit of a blocker in terms of moving quickly right now. Alan? I would have gone to the same answer. The policy and the policy certainty was what I initially thought of. But I think I would say the financial ecosystem also has to fall in place along with policy. We need to identify ways in which we can de-risk these projects and make it more and more appealing to the financial investment community so that they get involved in these projects on a much more uh, I would say open basis and and able to scale this up in a quick basis. So the the availability of capital can be also a big challenge, especially when you have to do it across multiple markets and multiple sectors. And getting the financial ecosystem also on board with these risks and with how they how they approach investment decisions in the space would also be equally important. I'm going to sneak in a quick last one just to finish this off. We're talking about CCS. We're talking about the opportunities and the challenges. How optimistic, Dan, do you feel about the future for CCUS? I feel very optimistic, Colin, because I think it's actually inevitable, right? So all of the drivers, whether they're social, political, they're now in place to make CCUS a reality, unlike maybe 10 to 15 years ago when we had a, bit, a few false starts within the industry. Um, what I would say, though, is we just need to get on with it. Alan, your thoughts, how optimistic sure. are you? I, I, I would say that when you look at the capacity of projects that's come up as proposed projects between now and 2030, so at the end of 2022, the world had roughly about 50 million tons per annum of carbon capture capacity globally. 2030, the number of the capacity of projects, the cumulative capacity of projects that could be online, if all of the projects that are announced today comes online, is over 400 million tons per annum close to 420. So that means we are, we are hoping to see about eight times growth in, the, in this decade for carbon capture capacity. So that's a sign of optimism. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for those who've been listening and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.